Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And Brian Colbert Kennedy is nominated for a fucking Webby. We are both nominated for a Webby uh, yeah. for best host of a podcast, which is absolutely bonkers. And doesn't make any sense. Anyways, this is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone on the planet right now in the next 10 years or so. Uh, if it can kill us or turn us into a starship trooper, we are in. Uh, our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, farmers, politicians, astronauts, even a reverend. Uh, and we work together towards action steps. Our listeners, that's you, can take with your voice, your vote, and your dollar. Don't forget that you can always send us questions, thoughts, feedback. Presence. Presence, especially uh, to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. Mm -hmm. You can also join thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Hey, uh, this week's uh -oh. episode, Brian, we're uh, talking about building a new pipeline of sustainable food growers. Tell them about our people today. Uh, well, our guest is Dina Liebman. Mm -hmm. She's the executive director of Future Harvest, uh, which is the Chesapeake Alliance uh, for Sustainable Agriculture. Mm -hmm. She's a journalism major. Mm -hmm. She's been a wildlife biologist. And she moved into working for environmental and sustainable agriculture organizations. Mm -hmm. She's very excited about her family's latest project, and that is her very own farm. So cool. Zigbone. Yes. Zigbone Farm. Uh, it's packed with sheep and goats in the gorgeous Maryland Catoctin Mountains. Yep. Excellent. Can you read uh, the rest there? Yes. Uh, okay. Nope. That's it. Nope. Uh, the rest <laughs> says, Brian's going to get married there. Save the date. You're all invited. Excellent. Thank I'll you so much. I'll say it if he's not going Thanks to. Invites go out soon. Uh, anyways, we had a great conversation and boy, man, people helping farmers, they're having a, they're having a tough run, but you know, what's really great, Brian, what food without a bunch of shit in it. Yeah. I like food. Um, I like clean so, food. you know, food that keeps us healthy instead of making us sick food that makes us stronger, faster, smarter. I'm just talking about, yeah, uh, that, is that a Marathon Kanye movie. song? No, oh. I, well, it might be, but I think it was a seventies movie. Anyways, That's better. uh, let's go talk to Dina. Our guest today is Dina Liebman, and together we're going to talk about building a new pipeline of sustainable food growers in the U.S. Uh, Dina, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. For sure. We are you pumped. say that now. Pumped to, Brian, yeah, go for you it. Just wait. Uh, no, we are very excited to have you. Seriously, thank you very much. Um, uh, let's get it uh, going pretty simply here. Just, just tell everyone who you are and uh, what you do. Okay, I'm Dina Liebman. I'm the executive director of a nonprofit called Future Harvest, the Chesapeake Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture. Uh, we just call Future Harvest for short. We're located in the Chesapeake Bay region. That's what I've been doing for the past five years. And before that, I have worked. I worked for USDA as a communications manager, and before that, for many environmental organizations and communications. Uh, I I am from Virginia. Are you are you a native of the Chesapeake region? No, I'm from Indianapolis, the real farm country. Oh yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> how how did you find yourself heading towards the uh, towards the bay and 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 that area? Well, I got here the way a lot of people get to Washington, as I got a fellowship with the National Wildlife uh, Federation, and it just stuck, and I've been here ever since. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Uh, well, the Chesapeake needs you, and we appreciate it. It has been through a lot the past <laughs> 100 to 25 years here. So we, we appreciate the work you're doing there. Could you tell us a little bit about what the, uh, what the organization does? Uh, we've been around for 20 years, and we provide education, networking, and advocacy to advance sustainable agriculture in the Chesapeake region. Cool. Um, did you, uh, so 20 years, did you, did you start the organization? No, no, I uh, I just joined it five years ago as the executive director. Oh, okay, cool, very cool. Uh, have things changed uh, since uh, I guess since it was founded, and and further, I guess since you arrived. Yeah, they've changed a lot. Um, <laughs> I some things for the better, and some things have become more difficult. What's gotten better is the bay is healthier. It's getting. Um, Middling marks now, uh, but earlier it was all the grades were failing. Um, there were miles long dead zones 
in large part due to agriculture. It's from many sources, but agriculture contributes a lot of, well, 40% of the nutrient pollution to the Bay. And um, that has been getting better, at least from Maryland it has. Um, other states have some catching up to do. So that's that's the good thing. The harder thing is that it's really getting hard for a small to mid-scale farmer to make a living. I feel like I was reading about that recently, how they're almost in negative income territory at this point. Yeah, Jeez. it's just, it's really difficult. And it's uh, it's due to many reasons, mostly that the story we hear over and over is that there's just too much competition for mass-produced food. And now organics are created in mass-produced environments as well. And so our small to mid-scale farmers who are organic are also losing their market share. So it's tough. Uh, we combat this in a few ways. We work with farmers market associations to build awareness of farmers markets and CSAs, which is community supported agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, we just do a lot to build consumer awareness. Um, but we also educate farmers about how to use social media, develop their websites, how to be better marketers. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah. A lot of what we do is farmer facing. Uh, we were founded by farmers. We're run by farmers. Um, and these were farmers who 20 years ago were uh, considered rebels. They were shunned by their communities because mm -hmm. they they thought that agriculture could be Profitable, you could farm and also protect the bay. And how, how dare they? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, so they formed this organization, Future Harvest, to teach for farmers to teach other farmers innovations in how mm -hmm. to protect the bay and and farm successfully. I dig that. So we're we're going to dig a little further into all that. But uh, you now you said it was founded by farmers and and run by farmers. Uh, does that include you? Are, yeah. you? are you of the ilk now? Just going to ask. Well, I'd like to say so, but no, I own a farm. <laughs> hey, that's and, something though. And we have 60 sheep and goats, but uh, we wow. are a retreat center. And oh, that's where our main income comes from. Can, what is, can you tell us what a retreat center is? Treat us like we're, like we're small children. I am, basically. <laughs> yes, Brian is. Okay. Uh, well, a retreat center is where you go uh, to learn and celebrate and uh, in a beautiful environment. So our uh, place is called Zigbone Farm Retreat. It's in the Catoctin Mountains and it's um, you can rent it on the weekends or whenever for weddings. We have a lot of those, but we also host nonprofits during the week. They can come and do strategic planning. They can have all sorts of strategizing sessions um, there. So, and look at goats and sheep in our beautiful valley at the same time for that inspiration. Does not sound like Ventura Boulevard. Yeah, you are, you are <laughs> in a much different place than we are. Brian, you heard her though. She does weddings. Thank there, you. There you yes. go, pal. I was actually just on a nice little road trip with uh, uh, my uh, girlfriend and we were we passed a whole bunch of, uh, like in the in the middle of California, there's, you know, it's not all, not all concrete jungle. There's beautiful yeah. animals. There's horses, and we saw buffalo. Great places to get married, Brian. We went through Salinas. There's a whole a lot of salad comes out of there. There's just some great salad comes out of there. Uh, yes, it really, it really it was comes, A lot of it comes to Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah, and Baltimore. Wow. Yeah, um, groovy. So we're gonna we're gonna keep digging into all of that, of course. Uh, uh, like we do every podcast, uh, we just want to uh, go over this real quick. What we do here, our main my reason for this podcast is to go over some context for uh, the question at hand or the topic, why you're here, and then dig into some action-oriented uh, questions uh, that that let everybody know why they should care about you and what you're doing and how we can all help. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, Dina, I feel like you're going to love this, but you did cheat and listen to a few of the episodes. Uh, so we do like to kick it off with one important question. Uh, instead of saying, tell us your life story, which I'm pretty sure I just did, we do like to ask, uh, can you tell us why are you vital to the survival of the species? I'm not. Damn it. But Boom. farmers are. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Get into that. Go. Yeah, go with it. Go with it. Uh, well, they break their backs to produce the fresh food that we eat. 
and they're the stewards of our land. So just those two reasons themselves are show show their importance to the survival of our species. And I'm just really honored to be able to advance their work. I, 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 I love that. And I think that's actually kind of one of the key differentiators what I want to get into today is we, we can't just say we need sustainable agriculture. We need to uh, have people who can, who can, who can execute that. And we need to then to have people who can execute that. You need to train them. And in order to train them, you need to have people who can, who can do that uh, training and, and encourage them. And I think that's actually one of the key focuses for today. So uh, just some quick context for everybody. So, so sustainable agriculture, as best as I can uh, lock it down, it's, it's, it's agriculture or uh, farming, mostly supporting farmers, resources, and communities by uh, uh, promoting and, and encouraging and building and codifying farming practices and, and uh, methods that are uh, profitable and environmentally positive, obviously, uh, and, and community building. So how's that done, right? Uh, there's obviously, I'm sure you have a list of a thousand things, but it can include reusing water, uh, reusing animal waste, uh, crop rotation, et cetera. So that is the product. But like we were just saying, building up a pipeline and supporting these farmers that are breaking their backs and having such a difficult time making a living, uh, building up a pipeline of educated and capable and willing humans from a new generation of people producing those products and tending to the crops, whatever they might be, is is an essential piece of the puzzle, right? It doesn't happen by itself. And part of the issue is in America, we've lost so many generations of those people over the decades, both formal farmers and just Americans knowing like how to grow food and where their food comes from uh, is, is so different than it was uh, even, even 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, now American farming is so dominated by these just massive industrial operations. And as we said, small farmers are, are increasingly incapable of supporting themselves, much less competing or, or making a profit. So, so, there, so there is a need for, for folks who can train them. So that's what I want to focus on today is, is talking about building this new pipeline of sustainable food growers. So, uh, Dina, fo- focusing on areas near the Chesapeake Bay is near and dear to my heart, but also it's pretty vital, right? The Chesapeake used to be this incredibly biodiverse estuary, one of the largest in the world, but of course we ruined it. And so new folks have been trying to clean it up and you were saying that ha- how it's actually gotten better over the past 10, 20 years. But it's not just the bay, right? It's 150 rivers and streams that feed into it. If they're not clean, neither is the bay. So talk to us a little bit about your home turf and where, where your operations are concentrated. Why, why was it founded there and, and what attracted you to it and, and what continues to attract you to that area uh, to do your work? Well, it, it's a logical area for an organization like ours with the the Chesapeake Bay is is the beating heart of our region. And we have two large cities, Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, right on main tributaries to the bay or on the bay itself. Mm-hmm. And so they're. You know, and the whole watershed of the bay is focused in Maryland and Pennsylvania. It goes all the way up into New York, but it just made sense to have an organization focused on agriculture, advancing agriculture that protects water, protects the land, while at the same time advancing farmers and and trying to find markets for them Mm -hmm. so that they can thrive. So do you guys... Talk to me about, I, I guess, just back it up, like sort of the 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 how the process goes, like the intake process. Do you guys seek out uh, sort of new candidates and farmers and things like that? Do you approach them, or or do people come to to you guys? Just talk to us about how the process works. Pretend Brian is a a young first generation. I'm young farmer who who well. You're kind of young. Who has who has who bought a farm in the area and wants to, you know, um, wants to get into this sustainable agriculture thing? Cares about the bay. How does this process work? Well, one of the programs that we run is called the Beginner Farmer Training Program, and the word is out about this program. It's ten years old this year. It started with just a 
I think maybe three to five trainees and it was supported by USDA. I, I don't I don't quite know how they were recruited in the early days. I think they just were paired up with farmers. They were in the farming community. But those were the early days. Everything was being sussed out. Today, we received over 200 applications for this program, and Whoa. we can only accept 80. And uh, there is just this explosion of interest in farming in the Chesapeake region. And we are the basically the only beginner farmer training program in Maryland. Uh, we also run it in Virginia. There's a, there are others there, but we have a certain model that's very attractive to new farmers. It's three levels. You can come in. Uh, there's level one, which is more for like the agri-curious. They don't have land. They uh, just want to learn more about agriculture and get their feet mm -hmm. wet but they're they're just not sure. And then there's level two, which are people who have access to land or own land themselves, and they have some farming experience, and that's more, that's a certificate program. And they go through a classroom series, and then they get paired with farmers in the field, and they have to do 200 hours in the field with a commercial farmer, sometimes a nonprofit farmer. And then level three, a lot graduate to level three, and they become, uh, they get assigned a mentor and farmer, cool. um, an experienced farmer, and they can call on that farmer for just a whole range of services. And we pay them. You pay so, the, you pay the mentors? Yes. Oh, cool. And can we actually give mini grants to some of the low-income trainees and we, it's a very diverse group of, of people. It's about 20 to 25% farmers of color. Wow. That's awesome. And is it, so if I wasn't in your area and I was, and I applied uh, and I was one of the lucky 80 who was accepted, is it, uh, do the, do the applicants and just who get accepted just work from where they are? Do they all go to you? Um, so it's really for local farmers. Okay. Okay. Um, it, because, well, just the way it operates, it's yeah, definitely yeah. for local farmers. But that might be something we might expand this model. It's a no, it, we don't have an incubator farm. People, there are a lot of farms, uh, they're called incubator farms where people go, they either stay there or they live nearby and they go and they learn on a farm from uh, somebody who runs that incubator or education farm. But ours is no infrastructure because we like to support commercial farmers. So we pair them with these trainees and sometimes it's a lot more work than they get benefit from, but a lot mm -hmm. of times they develop relationships and these trainees become apprentices on those farms uh -huh. and they're just become, that's a great network builder in our region in the farming community. And we have hundreds and hundreds of people who have gone through this program or attend our field school programs, which are for mm -hmm. any farmer mm -hmm. um, experienced or otherwise. We'd like to also offer advanced programming on latest innovations and in research in sustainable agriculture. Wow. So you have everything from, like you said, if you have no, basically no idea what you're doing all the way to advanced farming, you cover all bases. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. And we huh. have a large annual conference in the winter and it attracts about 650, 700 people every winter. Um, there are even larger conferences in Pennsylvania and other parts of the country for sustainable ag farmers. I love it. Amazing. I, love it. I want to paint a picture for everybody, kind of what, uh, what the program just, just looks like, because I think that'll help understand, you know, what obstacles are and stuff like that. So let's say, let's say I'm between level one and two. So let's say I'm agri-curious, which is my new favorite word. Uh, <laughs> I, ha I have access to, to some land or I have recently come into some land in some way, but I have no idea what to do with it. So wh where do I start? You know, what does the program feel like? How long is it? You know, what do I learn first, et cetera, et cetera? Kind of talk me through that. Well, we'd probably put you in level one because you have no experience experience and you would go through the standard 10 part winter workshop series on how to start a, a small commercial farm. Awesome. So how does that uh, 10 parts? So how do, how does that go? 
so it it's in the, uh, Baltimore County, and we've been webcasting it throughout the region, but um, we're starting to go more toward recorded um, Zoom interviews with farmers uh, for people who live beyond the driving region into Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. Actually, this year we held it in Baltimore in partnership with the this is, I'm going to butcher this, the Black Church Food Security Network in Baltimore. Okay. Um, hosted it in, in one of, I think, a, a church or a hall. and But that's the first year. Usually we've held it out at the Ag Center in Baltimore County. And, you know, we have uh, about 70 or 100 people register for this. So it's people not just in the program. There are 80 people in our program, but they're spread throughout the region. So they don't all come in person to that meeting. So there's other people who come to those every Wednesday night at the Ag Center or wherever it's held. And every class is on a different basic topic. And it's, we usually pair a farmer with maybe an extension agent or some other, a researcher or some other kind of expert so that they get the farmer perspective, they get the science perspective, they learn uh, who's who in the region that way. They learn mm-hmm. what resources are available to them, you know, and th- they get a good classroom grounding. And then level one, if you were to come into that program, we would offer you an array of hands-on field days on farms. You wouldn't go through the internship with, on the farms. You mm-hmm. would just, we would, we have special programs for you. Okay. So it seems like there's like a, there's almost like a business and relationship building side of it. And also actual like practical, this is how to farm education, hands-on stuff. Yes. Well, the classroom piece is, is, you know, you get a lot of information about how to control pests, um, how to develop your marketing strategy. You have to develop a business plan. Well, if you're in level two, you do. Got it. Yeah, we're definitely not to level two yet. That's that's. that's I might have to take level one twice, honestly. I think we did that with improv, didn't we? A couple times. Yeah, which I think is probably a little more simple than than how to run a small commercial farm. Cool. And so how long is this 10-part program? Is it, you said Wednesdays, is it 10 weeks or is it, how long is that? It's 10 weeks. And if you're interested in urban agriculture, we have an add-on series called Cultivate Baltimore, and that's all on urban agriculture. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's that's a hot thing these days is is making use of uh, rooftops and the lands and dilapidated yeah, parking lots. That would be so interesting. Lots, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. That's super cool. So so again, I, I'm agri-curious. I've got some land. What am I walking away with? What sort of... Uh, how how prepared am I to run a small commercial farm after my 10-week uh, level one program is over? Not very prepared. Great, great, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's only level so one. There's farming, no more levels. Farming, this just gets you started. It puts you into a community. It, it The speakers are become your touchstones. Mm-hmm. But... Farming is like any other kind of profession. You really have to get in and you have to do it. And every year is different with weather, you know, especially now with very erratic weather Mm -hmm. due to climate change. Our region has just been soaked year after year. And farmers are having to learn strategies on how to adapt to that. So it's, it's, you just have to get in, you have to do it, but this gives you a, a foundation and it um, and touchstones, as I said earlier, to set you up for success. Is there anything else? Uh, I feel like I would walk away from even like just the first night of this and feeling like, oh my god, thank God this resource exists. Are, are and now you've said that there's there's conferences and things like that, but are there other sort of schools like yours uh, out out there across the country? Farmer training programs tend to be more apprenticeships. Or, as I said, on education farms, like there's a Mm -hmm. set farm Mm -hmm. and you go to that farm and you work side by side with an instructor. And it's it's a great way to learn practices. Mm -hmm. It's a harder way to learn the realities of marketing because it's a little bit of an unreal 
setting. Usually those farms, they're somewhat dependent on their income from produce, but a lot of times they have grants to keep them going. So working with a commercial farmer shoulder to shoulder is just invaluable uh, for understanding just how, what you need to do to mm-hmm. thrive as a farmer. That makes sense. Um, so how important is the sort of marketing and business side now with, again, we talked about how difficult, I mean, just again, farm, literally farming itself is, but, but to, to, to make uh, a living and then also to be able to, to fight to be profitable. It seems like you guys are really f- actually f- focusing on that side uh, to complement the, the practical farming methods. What, what, are the, what are the biggest lessons that need to be learned there? both in the relationships they build and, and I guess what they take away from sort of the formal schooling there. What, what are the things that are most advantageous to learn? Start small and build up. In what way? So a lot of people, if they have some deep pockets, they'll buy the newest tractor, the newest equipment. Oh, mm-hmm. Our most successful farmers are the ones who, well, If you have deep pockets, you buy your land if you can. There's just different ways to get into it. But it's experimenting with things, having being able to have a few years to get your feet under you before you rely on farming. Since our country has evolved from subsistence farming and before it went into large agribusiness as the dominant paradigm, Mm -hmm. people farmed, but they also had off-farm income. And that model is still how it is today. A lot of new farmers have spouses or they team up with others who live on the farm and one person will work off the farm and one Mm -hmm. person will work the farm Mm -hmm. and they build it up slowly. They acquire more land and and until that farm is able to support both people. We see that quite a bit. Interesting. But we have people making a living off of a quarter acre in Baltimore with a cut flower operation. That's so wild. That's awesome. With a, did you say a cut flower operation? Yeah. So they grow flowers Is that what for it sounds florists. like? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. On a quarter acre. Yeah. 40,000 gross. There's clearly off-farm income in that family. Or there, I would sure. imagine there is. Sure, sure. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline wherever you might be. And you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. Okay, so how do you how would you say you measure success for the for the program? Success is when we graduate a farmer, and that farmer heeds our warnings and advice <laughs> and goes forward anyway and builds their business and figures out how to make it work. And they're so in love with it they that they innovate to overcome obstacles and they're happy and thriving and they found a path for themselves. That is just a great measure of success. Another one is somebody who is in level one who says, okay, I don't want to farm. I know that now, but I have a renewed appreciation for it. And I will from now on buy from farmers markets and join a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Program, or I will stop at farm stands. I'll insist at restaurants that food has been sourced locally. That's also a win. For experienced farmers, there is no 
greater honor than being able to impart some new wisdom to help an experienced farmer make their operation even better. So that's really that's really great. And then the Chesapeake Bay getting better and better grades. It, it's graded, I think, yearly. And um, that's just a wonderful thing to see that upward trend and know that in part that's due to better systems and improved soil health and um, practices like um, cover cropping, mm-hmm. which I can go into geeky detail about. Uh, we, we like geeky detail. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do that now? Yeah. I mean, let's hit it. What's what? T- tell me what co- I, I almost so kind of want to ask other... Brian what he thinks cover cropping is first and then have you tell us what it okay. is. Brian, Brian, what's cover cropping? Uh, Go. Co- cover cropping is, is when you are, when you are able to protect the uh, soil by covering the vegetable while it grows. Uh, what? Uh, it's just <laughs> very special covering that farmers have invented. <laughs> are you want to take way, a stab at what that might, material might be, Champ? Or is it just some sort of some, probably uh, talking about tarp? Tarp? Okay, tarp. Okay. Anything a thick tarp though that protects uh-huh. it from the sun, and maybe it's got some organic pesticides on it. So that uh-huh. the, why don't we get into the you know real... it needs sun to grow though. No, no, I know, but okay. d- d- certain times of the day, the tarp you can roll it out and roll it back on. Oh yeah, no, that sounds efficient. Yeah, Dina, why don't you go ahead and tell us what cover cropping is? <laughs> That's well, you know, mulch is kind of that, and that is kind <laughs> of cover cropping. You don't need to give him any wins here. Why don't you just give it to us straight? <laughs> so, cover crops are a very, very important practice in sustainable agriculture, and uh, they are non-commercial crops that are grown for a variety of purposes between crops between seasons and it keeps the ground covered at all time well at most times and what that does is it helps the soil retain water they smother weeds they provide it, when you knock them down they provide green what's called green manure if they're if it's tilled in it's just a very important practice to improve soil health and help farmers reduce their use of chemical inputs or synthetic inputs. Ah, gotcha. Cool. So, so I, I sort of yeah, I sort of had to hit it on the on the head there. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you got to tell yourself. Uh, let me ask you this. Where do most of your uh trainees or new recruits come from? Are they from uh, are they from sort of farmer stock generations of farmers? Do they have their own farms? Are they these city kids? Are they liberal tree huggers that are agri-curious? Like you said, I'm, I'm Please curious. Please stop saying agri-curious. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what is, what's sort of the breakdown there, if you have any, any idea? There are all sorts of people. We get a, there are many veterans. D.C. is home of the federal government. And so we have a lot of uh, federal employees who've retired or said they've had enough. Oh, wow. And they go into farming. They've got some resources and they say, I'm going to buy some land and go into farming. One of our most successful farmers is uh, ex-Navy. And he built two big hoop houses, which are those plastic tubular greenhouses that you see on a lot of farms. And he called, he named them Intrepid. And I forget what the other one is, but they're after warships. And wow. um He's a, a prime example. He went through our program and figured it out over 10 years. And he's a very successful farmer. And he'll be the first to tell you it's the hardest thing he's ever done for not so much money compared to what he was making in the Navy. But he, you know, he loves it and he's a leader in the field. So it's it's just all sorts of people. People think, oh, it's it's just all kids who went to Oberlin, right? You know, <laughs> right. But right. actually, our Oberlin crads are some of our most successful farmers. Um, our board president, who retired from farming a few years ago, went there and he was a professor and he decided he wanted to become a farmer and had a wonderful farm for 40 years. He and his wife, who is also an Oberlin grad. So, mm-hmm. um, and sorry, to Oberlin folks, I, that's just the first college that came to mind. No, for no, no. I think, I think people get what you're talking about. <laughs> it's it's just a whole range of of people. Yeah, well, awesome. that's awesome. Do you got what sort of uh, government 
or and corporate and maybe grant support do you guys get? Is it is it a struggle? Yeah, where did where how are no. you guys mostly funded? It's always a struggle. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, we are funded by private foundations, by donors, and by uh, we get several grants from USDA. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, they have a, a program for beginner farmer programs, and we are just winding down that grant. And so our beginner farmer program is we're fun like fundraising like crazy um, yeah. to keep it at the level it's at. And we have one to launch a campaign called Go Grass Fed, and it's to launch a consumer, a multimedia consumer campaign to raise awareness of the health, environmental, and farm farmer benefits of grass fed meat. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how we get funded. I dig that. And and. <sighs> I mean, how much outreach are you guys doing to get uh, private funding or things like that? Or is it mostly grant and USDA covered? Majority grant, but we do a lot of outreach and we have 800 members. Um, It fluctuates a little Mm bit, but we have quite a few members and that doesn't bring in much income. We don't really charge very much, but it's it's the our engagement piece Mm -hmm. for farmers and Ag educators and and others who want to join an, an organization like Future Harvest. Sure. So let me ask you uh, this last question before we sort of move into action steps everybody can take to fund this wonderful thing that will feed yes. us all healthy food. Do, do small, sustainable farmers ha- have a shot in this country? Uh, it seems like right now things are really difficult uh, uh, for them uh, and and just for our food system in general um do, do you feel like we're going to be able to make enough change in the next five ten years for, for them to make a business and a life out of this and encourage even more people to do that to really build some more momentum i hesitate but uh, be, be honest, uh, well, the, answer, you know? the short answer is yes um i i the local foods movement has just saved many a family farm um mm-hmm. in southern maryland when there was a big tobacco buyout, a lot of the farms converted into local food producers and open farm stands and they open agritourism businesses. And that has uh, that has just really helped farmers stay on their land. So I think that it already has changed. It's just not enough. Mm-hmm. And that's what we just need to keep working on people. Go to your farmer's markets, buy a subscription to farm produce called a CSA, a Community Supported Agriculture subscription. Visit your farm stands. Insist at restaurants that the food be sourced locally. It's not a precious thing. It's an absolute necessity if you're going to have agriculture thrive in your area and preserve the agrarian heritage of your region. You know, and I think it's it's important for farmers to continually be educated about how to best market and how to reach consumers and develop partnerships with their state tourism agencies and state agriculture agencies to get promoted um, and to get the word out about their farms. So there's just a lot of ways, a lot of avenues, but they they just, there just has to be education on both the farmer front and the consumer front. Sure. Education, pretty key. Mm -hmm. So we, you, you, you have listened to a few of our podcasts, so you might realize that this is how we usually uh, like to start wrapping it up. But, uh, you know, we always want to make sure that we uh, leave our listeners with specific action steps that they can uh, that they can take to support you. So I, so I guess first, let's go with uh, how, how can our listeners uh, support you and this movement with their voice? Yeah, so so specifically, I guess, what are the big actionable, but again, specific question, uh, you know, the rest of us that don't have land, 
uh, but are interested in it should be asking of our representatives. Those both, of us I who guess, are locally and nationally. Sorry, say. yes, agricurious is probably the word I would use. Uh, it's a new word. I just came <laughs> up with it. Uh, so what, what should be asking of our representatives, both locally and regionally or statewide and, and, and federally? I think they should ask for policies that provide land access to young farmers. They should forgive student loans for young people who go into farming. In many states are considering soil health bills. And this is, I didn't really touch on soil health, but it's a really, really important part of sustainable agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and a lot of states, mostly California and in Maryland, are leading the way in soil health. And I, if people can get their voice behind that and talk to their farmers about how they build soil health on their farms and to prevent runoff into waterways and to sequester carbon to offset mm -hmm. climate change. I, I didn't. I would. I would love to go into that, but I. I haven't. But we didn't touch on that. No, um, please. If there's something specific you want to get into there, please. Please. I mean, we, we've we've definitely talked about soil health before. Yeah. Uh, on the podcast, so so uh, the people are informed. But if you have uh, something specific, a perspective you want to bring to that, please, by all means. There is a huge upswelling movement around soil health right now, and it's because it's win win win. It's a win for the farmer. It uh, helps them build the science and the research that's going on around soil health, which is about microbes in the soil soil structure, that it it helps farmers produce more. It helps sequester carbon, as I said, drawing it down from the atmosphere via photosynthesis and storing it in the ground. And it helps prevent polluted or nutrient runoff into waterways because it stabilizes soil and it retains water. So it's it's really important for consumers to start understanding the basics of soil health. Uh, they'll be getting a lot of information in the coming years. It's it's um, a new front on the climate efforts to curb climate change. And um, so they need to get behind state efforts to pass what are called healthy soils bills that mandate usually the state agencies, usually the Department of Agriculture, to develop programs uh, and research and demonstration sites for farmers to learn more about it. Um, there are many farmers it, it, who now use certain practices that mimic nature. And these are people in the most risk-averse risk corners of the agricultural landscape. Mm -hmm. They are diehard conservative ranchers and they have found the way with this kind of agriculture, keeping their ground covered, planting perennials, keeping the carbon in the ground and the microbes happy. So we are doing a lot of work on this front and teaching farmers about it. So that, so for consumers to get more educated about that and Google it and learn mm -hmm. more and ask their farmers at the farmer's markets about it. That's, uh, I think that would be one action step. The other action steps are buy from farmer's markets, buy a CSA, buy from directly from your farmer. It's mm -hmm. a wonderful way. And if you buy wholesale, talk to your grocers, talk to your chefs, don't let up and ask them to source from local farms. Awesome. I love that. Don't let up. Yeah. Don't let up. That's a, I, yeah, uh, that, that seems to be a pretty important rallying cry. It applies to pretty much anything Everything. right now. Yeah. 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 I know you're exhausted. I know there's a lot to do. Don't let up. Don't let up. <laughs> um, awesome. Dina. Well, we have, uh, we've kept you and we're getting close to, uh, uh, the end of this. Um, can't go yet. Can't go. Don't you even think about going, but, uh, yeah, we have a few more, uh, questions for you. Thank you so much for, for being here and, and chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. It is just, it is uh, so wonderful. And I guess makes me feel like there's a safe place in the world that things like this are happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that these people are being supported and that not just they're being supported, but uh, that there's, there's folks like you guys who, who, who are making this such a specific mission to, to do that, to make sure people feel like that this is something that is possible from a product standpoint, from a commercial standpoint, from a good of, 
of our food and our soil and our climate and our uh, especially our community standpoint it's it's nice to know that this these for lack of a better word grass grassroots movements are are being supported well it's my honor to work on behalf of farmers that's awesome so all right last few questions we ask everybody uh Dina when was the first time when you realized first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I think when my mother took me to a Eugene McCarthy rally. (laughs) Wow. Now that is dating me. Um, (laughs) Wow. Uh, What did that do to you specifically? My mother had very strong opinions. I, I grew up in Indianapolis on a very conservative side of town and Mm. my parents were the only Democrats in their polling district and had to sit at every election because you have to have two from every party. And they were the only two from the (laughs) Democrats. Holy crap. So it's in my blood, I guess. That's awesome. What what do you feel like you really specifically took away from that rally? Just the power of the people that if if they rise up and they make their voices heard and they fight for what's right, and what's what's right for all people that that that's just very powerful and you know you can get frustrated you can feel hopeless but is there another way to lead your life no there's not you have to keep working for change i love that that works for me wow Dina, who is someone specifically in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Could be anybody. Brian usually says his cat, which uh, is interesting. But she's so sweet, and she's made me a better man. That's all I'm saying. Okay, it could it could be a uh, some people say a spouse, some people say a coworker, some people say a mentor. Uh, you know what? Uh, what really? Who's who's really had your back the past six months? My spouse, my family. But I think um, the most profound person in my life in the last six months is my dad, who passed away a few weeks ago. And um, very uh, sorry to hear that. So just that occasion, thank you. Just that occasion has given me a lot of reflective pause about about what I'm doing, and you know, he's appalled that we bought a farm. <laughs> But he ended up being supportive in the end. How magical is that? There you go. <laughs> I'm sure that was a lifelong struggle, or at least since you since you bought a farm. But um, that's that's pretty got a pretty good and uh, good result in the end, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's special. I'm 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 sorry to hear about your loss. I can that can be that can be pretty damn tough. Um, but yeah. I'm glad to know you felt supported there in the end. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, on that note, Brian. Uh, Dina, when you feel overwhelmed, uh, what do you do? What's what's, what's you your know, self-care? Dina time. <laughs> well, lately I bought a pressure washer and I've been pressure washing the mold off our house. And I got to say that. it is the most meditative, satisfying thing I've ever done. I just love it. I just <laughs> run out <laughs> And it's not energy saving and it's not water saving. So I'm ashamed to admit it, but God, I'd love to power wash my house. <laughs> um, that's amazing. No, there's some, there's some real, uh, for lack of a better word, power there. I mean, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, I think some people split wood some people, you know, whatever. You just got to take it out sometimes, <laughs> man. Uh, that's awesome. It's healthy. You got to get that. You got to release that. Yeah. Well, it's it just, been raining so much here that every house is just kind of coated in this mold. So, oh yeah, not your anyway. house. Not your house. Uh uh-uh. uh. They're, the like, they're like, what is going on with Tina? What is she out there doing? She looks like a <laughs> Ghostbuster with that fucking thing. <laughs> it's true. That is awesome. I love how specific that is. <laughs> Dina, how do you consume the news? Oh, we still get the print edition of the Washington Post. Excellent. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. That. That works for me. Democracy dies in darkness, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's uh, correct. Yeah, there's there's some there's some darkness. If you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? <laughs> oh my gosh! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, We've had everything from coloring books to the Constitution. 
whatever you think might be most appropriate. And I should say, you can happily caveat that someone would read it to him. Now, that's a hard one because I don't think he reads. That, it is um, a question that is an issue that we run into from time to time. Yeah. I don't know. I, nothing, <laughs> <laughs> there's just that I, nothing I read, I don't think would sway him or I don't think he's reachable by book. I'm just going to have to punt on that one. That's, that's a pretty con- fair and concise statement. I don't think he's reachable by book. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I don't know how he's reachable, but you know, we're, tr- we're trying. <laughs> awesome. Dina, uh, where can our followers, uh, where can our listeners, excuse me, follow you online? Yeah, we don't definitely don't have followers. This isn't a cult, Brian. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, they can follow Future Harvest. Okay. At our website, futureharvestcasa.org. And all the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram account names are, are there. Um, okay. I'm pretty boring personally to follow. Well, you'd be amazed. I doubt it. I doubt it. We've been very entertained. Well, listen, uh, Dina, we, we can't thank you enough. And again, I, it really is amazing knowing that community community organizing of all of all levels is 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 always inspiring. No matter what the uh, no matter what the specific issue is or the or the mission is, you know, whether it's you know civil rights, environmental justice, indigenous people's rights, food, uh, water, air, you know, fair housing. I mean, food food is what nourishes us, or it's supposed to, uh, and we've gotten away from that in a lot of ways. And and part of that is the the struggle of these people um, to to make a life out of it and to make it seem like it uh, not only is uh, doing a good thing for the community, which is great. I'm sure they would love to do that, but if they can't make a living out of it, that that becomes a pretty hard thing to do practically. Um, mm-hmm. So to know that folks like you are out there training them and enabling them to to live that life, to have a life and to, and to pay it forward is, is a, it's a good feeling. It's, it's something awesome to build on. So we, we thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, listen, uh, Dina, we will, uh, talk to you soon. Please keep kicking ass out there. And, uh, uh, next time I'm on the East coast, uh, we will, uh, we'll, we'll come visit and say hi. Oh, please do. And congratulations on your nomination. Oh, thank you. I, I still assume that their website is just having some sort of malfunction. There's and been that's a why huge our names mistake. are there, but we'll take it until then. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.